Thank you for tuning in. Um, you can find the rest of our podcasts on offshoreexplore.org. It's a new site. Uh, it's very lovely. Um, I'd also ask you to check it out, visit some of our sponsors, and uh, keep the show running on that. So today we're going to discuss the third part of the charter series. Um, And I like to call this the voyage that never ends. I was asked by charters over the years. Generally, I was asked by charters over the years. Generally, the same question, but, you know, in slightly different forms. Are we one of the best charter groups you've ever had? Or we weren't the worst charter, were we? In other words, who was the worst charter? What were they like? What did they do? My reply was, if you're asking this question, you probably feel comfortable enough about your own behavior and your own charter that you have been successful as a charterer. I don't like to talk about other charter guests. I didn't do that for years and years and years. We Every once in a while, we'd, the crew and I would talk But for the most part, the rule was, no matter what's happening during the week, we don't talk about the guests. We continue to go on. We just do our work. We stay, you know, all the sunshine's got to be up. um, Because once you sort of start talking about stuff, and this, this could probably apply in almost any business in anywhere, is once you start bad mouthing or creating airs, People pick up on that. Sometimes they don't pick up on it directly. It's more subconscious, but they do pick up on it. And it will cause you problems. Just saying stuff will make it insane for somebody. So I just, I look at it this way. Keep your mouth shut, do your job, stay sunny, go through and get the week over with. And then after, if you want to talk about what the guests did, you can talk about it. But I don't like to indulge it too much with my with my uh, uh, crew. So I have to admit that after a few years, and I'm going to break that rule, of course, you know, it's been been a while since I've actually been chartering. Um, But it hasn't, it hasn't changed. So there's a couple of things that I want to talk about. And you always get like curveballs in a charter. And sometimes you can have like the worst things happen and and it turns out to be a really great charter like i mentioned in the last episode the couple that was under so much stress and strain with their sick daughter and and they got their first vacation in years and years and years and they had the worst weather ever and they were just so grateful that they got to go home and tell stories about the weather about me about you know the crew everything and it just it made their life because they were every day was a struggle for them and I mean really a struggle so there was some positive stuff that comes out so a lot of it has to do with the disposition of the guests 
for the most part, people are great. When they come to char- when they come to charter, they're flexible, they're understanding. They try to get into a rhythm. They try to say, okay, here's my space, and there's lines, and they go on from there. I was once uh, stuck in a port in Sardinia for three days because of a really strong mistral blowing like 50 knots on the low end, more closer to 60, 70 knots. The seas were just churning up, and they were huge. The guests that I had were so impatient, so willful, and mean. The weather was my fault, period. That's all they could think of. The weather was my fault. At the end of the day, they stomped off the boat angry, cursing me out for the weather. It's crazy, right? But we were stuck in the port, and they had the opportunity to explore Sardinia by scooter, and they rented a car, and they got to go to the beaches, um, they got to go to the mountains, they had very, uh, lots of cool experiences, um, you know, they walked with herds of sheep and a sheep herder up in the mountains, um, they tasted food that on charter they would have never ever gotten to, the Chacatrie and Sardinia is just if you don't know what that is, like your sausage and cheeses and stuff like that, is just, they do this black pig there that's just phenomenal. I could just, that I could live on that. Um, and they did all of this, yet they were still really dissatisfied. Another instance, I had a honeymoon couple. And um, this is <laughs> this is a little bit crazy because... One of the things that I used to do is I used to try to um, upsell my Caribbean clients to come to Europe to do their next charter. And that worked very successful because I would tell them stories about, oh, here's what we did in Rhodes or here's, here's what we did in Marmaris or Turkey. You know, here's where you can get this. And, oh, if you need Turkish carpets or Persian carpets, you know, I know a guy in Turkey. We can get those. You can bring them home. You know, just all that kind of stuff. And people just, they would love that because I split my time between the Caribbean and Eastern Med. So I married this couple on the boat in uh, the British Virgin Islands at the Bitter End in the BVs, BVIs. And they, were, they loved the charter so much, they decided that uh, they wanted to charter me and Grace. And the charter started bad, and I mean really bad. First, their flight was delayed. Then their baggage was lost. The taxi took them to the wrong port. Everything was a disaster. They were exhausted. They were, they were dirty. I mean, the plane did, was just not cool, and they just were just really had a hard time. And these were not the kind of people type of people who did well in trying circumstances. You know, they're a little bit the millennial kind of like, you know, everything's got to be perfect for us. And, you know, when it's not perfect, it's like we don't know how to adapt kind of concept. At the same time, these this couple was going through these trying circumstances. 
I was dealing with a mechanic who wouldn't bring me my fuel injectors. And I had, he had come by, we had taken the fuel injectors out of the engine and had him test it. And it turned out that they were going to put some new cups in and he was going to refurbish those. And I was going to buy some new ones and he was waiting for an order of new ones to come in. And I said, look, it doesn't matter when the new ones come in. I'll put the refurbished ones in because I have a chart of it. And this guy would not hear of it. He said, oh, I can't do this. We can do this. and We can't. So, I mean, I literally had the people on my boat, the couple on my boat, with the engine apart. And I'm waiting for this freaking mechanic. And he just drove me so crazy. On top of that, because we couldn't leave the dock until I got that. No engine, of course. The Meltemi was blowing stink. It would make going to Turkey not just a little bit woolly, but a lot woolly. I mean, it was so bad that the ferries had stopped running. Now, I say that, if you don't know, when the Greek ferry stops running, it's bad. Okay? These guys will run in a hurricane. They, they, they're fearless running those ferries between islands. But they stopped running. So everybody was sort of, you know, stuck in port. And I had these people, and they wanted to leave right away. They didn't want to be in Greece. They wanted to get to Turkey. They actually didn't like Greece for some reason. They wanted to get to Turkey. Luckily, we had to wait for their luggage. Finally, I got their luggage through a series of friendships and somewhat of a miracle. Um, the bags, they were flying, they flew out of New York and um, the bags ended up somewhere in Germany and they were in Greece and it was just a, it was a nightmare. The bags had done a lot, a lot of miles. So finally I got the bags um, because normally a lot of times in countries where you have lost your bags, you know, the airline is the airline, and, and no matter what airline you deal with, the baggage uh, thing can be really um, pretty crazy until somebody actually finds them and says, hey, I got a spare bag here. I don't know who it belongs to. And then they eventually find who the owner is. And that may require them putting it on another flight. I mean, lots of different crazy kind of stuff that they have to do. So I finally got their, um, their bags back. So we decided to leave port. Um, I got the mechanic. I got the mechanic to to literally. I had to go to the mechanic's house up in um, the mountains to get um, the fuel injectors. I got them, paid them, got them. Um, so happened I got the new ones as well, and I brought them back. I had to put them in the boat, and I'm doing this all sort of surreptitiously. Why, you know, the guests, the two, the honeymoon couple, why they go off. You know, and they really didn't want to go off anywhere to look at the castle and all the rest. They thought, oh, yeah, that's great. We've seen it. No, we don't want to do it. And it was hard to get them off the boat. And they were exhausted to start with. And I kind of got that. But anyway, we got them off the boat. I put the fuel injectors in, start the engine. Everything was perfect. It was great. So I decided to leave Rhodes. And the Maltemi sort of laid down just, just a little bit. And when I say just a little bit, I'm talking about 30 or 40 uh, knots, um, instead of the 50 or 60. 
So we decided to, I decided to hug the coast um, on the south side of the island, which is protected from the wind and the lee. And we went down to Lindos, which is really nice, but the ride was pretty rough. Um, they didn't do well. They were a little bit frightened. They were a little bit upset. They just, they weren't on the, they didn't have their game. So they kind of thought it was going to be the Caribbean and the Caribbean can be very deceiving in the sense, especially in the British Virgin Islands where everything is sort of like, you know, a pond and you can just move around. Um, you've got, you know, 15, 20 knot winds. It's just customized sailing. It's easy. There's no big deal. Um, the anchorages are really simple to be in and, and protected and, um, it's very beautiful. The water is gorgeous and the, the water in Greece is gorgeous too as well. But the point is, is it was, it was pretty choppy. It was pretty tough. And my boat was a pretty stout boat. So for people to get a little screwed up by that, that's a kind of a different, um, a different thing. So we went to Lindos and, um, that night, um, there was a disco and um, there was a disco up on the hill in Lindos. And anybody who's been in Lindos knows exactly the club I'm talking about. And, of course, Euro music, and they were just rocking all night. And no one slept in the anchorage. It was insanely loud. And it was more loud than usual because of the way the wind was blowing up over the mountain. So no one really slept um, they were getting, they were very irritable at this point. Nothing we could do would, 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 you know, help them. So we decided that at this point, and I'm trying to save the charter here. I want them, I really want them. I like them. I wanted them to have a nice, you know, nice experience. So I said, look, I said, we'll go to Turkey. Um, and it's going to be hard. It's going to be rough. You're going to have like three hours of just getting our butts kicked and it'll it's going to be woolly so this is you know you got to be prepared so you know take your seasickness pills etc and you know hang on because this is going to be a tough a tough sail so i reefed you know i reefed the main down um, you know i put up my hanky on my um genoa and um you know didn't even put up my staysail at that point and I was just going to plow across. I would have the wind essentially um, on my beam, which was okay. And the waves were uh, on the beam, but somewhat confused coming off of the islands and the mountains of, of Greece. And it's, it's not a long trip. It's a short trip. But it can be a little bit tough. So we went. And I kind of regret going because it was a tough, it was a tough go. It was a really tough go. And the wind seemed to shift around a little bit. Um, I got a couple of small tears in my sail. Um, I had a block blow up, um, unfortunately. So there was, it just didn't seem like I was being very professional, but you know, I was, I was just dealing with a lot of, uh, circumstance that wasn't cool. They were seasick, they were scared and they were exhausted, but we finally made it to Turkey and I anchored in a little small bay that's outside of Marmaris. 
I anchored in a, a small bay outside of Marmaris Bay. Um, they went swimming, they relaxed, they had drinks in the cockpit, and they really started to unwind because the bay is absolutely beautiful. Um, the crystal clear blue water, um, it's, you know, it has a sandy bottom, um, it's got a rugged coast, uh, the smell of pine trees and, and black earth is, is just like, this is, you're on Asia now, you know, you, this is Asia. So it's kind of like this cool kind of like perspective that you get. So we're sitting down and they're relaxing in their compact cockpit in the cockpit. So we're sitting down, relaxing in the cockpit. We're working on getting some more durs and stuff like that. And then suddenly I hear these sort of screams. She's screaming, the girl. And I go up and say, what's going on? She goes, bees, 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 bees. Well, <laughs> there were thousands of honeybees all over the boat. And they were attracted, of course, to the drinks, which were had their own sweetness and the alcohol and all the rest. And they had to scurry downstairs. And we had to close up the, the boat. Um, we had to keep the bees out, close all the portholes. It was really hot. And it was very uncomfortable. And the boat was covered with bees. And the girl, she just sat on the settee and broke down and cried. This was like the worst charter that you could possibly imagine. So it turns out that by evening, this was like 4, 4.30 in the afternoon, and by evening, by 7.30, 8 o'clock, all the bees were gone. And she had had enough. And she had just, she was saying, and we could hear what they were saying, that, you know, we're kind of dead. We're, de we're done with this charter. I think we want to just get on the plane and go home. And I said, no, come on, let's just, let's take the boat, we'll put it on the dock. You can, you know, get a taste of turkey and um, go to the old market, et cetera, et cetera. And it, it'll all be fine. You'll see, it'll be okay. So that's what we did. And we put the boat on the dock, got cleared in. And they slept that night like rocks. And we didn't we didn't see them for a while, and um, they were just there was just this super exhausted. So this is like this is like our second night, third night, okay, of a seven night journey. And so they get up the next morning. They're feeling refreshed. They're they're still a little pensive. Um, they have some breakfast. They said, great. And I said, well, look, I'll come with you. I'll show you around. And they go, no, 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 no. We're okay. We're okay. I said, okay. You know, enjoy yourself. I said, a lot of people around here, they do speak English. I said, if you ever have a problem, go to any one of the carpet stores, and the salesman there usually will speak English. In fact, a lot of the carpet salesmen in Turkey will speak three or four different languages very fluently. So they're they're good to it's a good place to go if you're in trouble. So they disappeared and my mate and I we just we cleaned up and we sat back and went, whew. You know, maybe the charter is turning because you know, maybe it's just getting better now. We we've dodged the weather. The Meltemi was laying down and, and in Marmaris in the in the marina there, 
Um, the weather, the male tummy doesn't bother it very much at all. So it's very protected because of the mountains. And, you know, it's it was pleasant. It was super pleasant, in fact. So evening comes around and it's like dinner time. And I'm thinking to myself, where are these people? Um, so I go, I thought, okay, I'm just going to wander around. I was getting really nervous. So there's not too many places they could have gotten off to. Um, Marmers is not really a big town. And if you're within the confines of the old market, it's not very big at all. If you go outside the old market, you can get a little lost. Um, I know it very well because I've spent um, many, many, many days and nights and weeks and months there. So I'm kind of wandering around looking and looking. And one of the things you have to understand is that when you're a charter boat captain uh, on charter, um, you know, you're wearing a shirt with the boat's name on it, embroidered on it. And people know who you are. They know you're a charter boat captain. Um, and they treat you with a great deal of respect. And um, you look, when they look at you, they see money. All right, because it could be very key for you to bring guests to their stall or to their store. And, and if they, you know, so they're very friendly and, and they like, you know, uh, visitors to come. And, and mostly people who charter do have a few bucks. So I'm going around and going around and I'm looking and I, I call my agent and I said, look, I think I've, I think I have a problem here. I can't seem to find my guests. I checked. There are a few bars. Um, I, I looked around. I didn't know where they were. I mean, these are grown ass people. I don't, I don't need to follow them. Right. I don't need to keep up with them. Well, my agent calls me since they're in jail. They're in the local jail. I said, you've got to be kidding me. They were detained by the police when they appeared to mention hashish. And they mentioned it to the wrong person. They actually mentioned it to the guy who was the mayor of the town who also owned a vegetable stall. I couldn't, I couldn't believe it. So here's my charter guest. They're in jail in Turkey. Didn't they know, didn't they ever see the movie Midnight Express? Give me a break. Turkey is not a place you go to look for hashish. It's not a place you go that you bring anything to smoke, except Turkish cigarettes. They take this shit really seriously. Really seriously. So... I managed to get them out of jail. The agent helped. We got them out of jail. They were obviously they were quite upset. And we left Turkey that night after we got them out. I guess we left about 10, 11 o'clock at night. And um, we went straight back to Greece. And they were on a flight back to the States the next afternoon. They, they cut the charter short by three days. What's the lesson in this? What's, what's the meaning of this story? Um, man, you just have to be flexible. You have to be prepared. Um, stuff can go wrong. You can't take it on yourself. And if you're chartering, 
Um, you just have to be ready for anything. That's the case. Another story I'd like to tell you is uh, what a lot of people ask me is, what was the worst charter that you've ever been on? And I always refer to this charter as the voyage that never ended. I got a complaint on this charter, and the broker got a complaint, a letter. And the complaint was that I did not offer a selection of dressings for a Caesar salad. Let that sink in for a moment. I didn't, Caesar salad, people know this, right? Caesar salad is Caesar salad because it has a specific dressing, which is Caesar dressing. So given that's where I start from, sometimes on a charter, people come and they bring all the dynamics of their life with them. Nothing changes. This is the way they live. They're just going to come and live there. They're going to live with you for a week. So if you have bad family dynamics, you're going to have a pretty bad week. And these people, God bless them, I'll call them the Caesar family. The father was certifiable. The mother was desperate. The oldest daughter, who was about 18, was resentful and bitter. And the youngest boy, who was 15, was angry, moody, and deeply troubled. It was the father, though, who caused this little domestic tragedy to be worse than it already was. He was overbearing and insecure. He was an anesthesiologist from Houston, Texas. And I, I got the giveaway from his wife was, oh yeah, we've moved 10 times in the last few years. And the implication was is he was fired from all these hospitals as an anesthesiologist, and mostly for incompetence. And then as the thing went on, the daughter sort of mentioned that he accidentally almost killed someone um, not once, but several times, and um, he he was pretty incompetent. This was a charter of no fun. The kids liked going sh to shore, but they didn't like the boat. Uh, it was the young boy who lobbied the father for the trip. He was the one that said, oh, yeah, this would be really cool. Um, he was the one that ordered all these bizarre liquors, um, which, you know, he... he he drank schnapps. He was 15. He drank schnapps. And, you know, I'm. I, it's up to the parents to regulate their kids. If their kids are going to drink or not drink or whatever, do heroin, I, I don't care. That's not my job to raise your kids on charter, okay? I just want to make sure they don't kill themselves or injure themselves. That's my thing. So this kid, this kid was like, he was crazy. And he was just angry and he was mean. I mean, it's just like many of you know what it's like to be around a 15-year-old. And the father, he would sit next to, like, the girl, for example, and he'd put her arm, his arm around her. 
and kiss them in this weird faux show of affection. Every time he did that, the kids just cringed and withdrew from him. He complained about the sheets because they were creased at the corners. The beds were made with, with like military precision, you know, with square corners and all the rest, but that didn't satisfy this guy. He couldn't sleep in sheets with any kind of wrinkles in them. This, imagine that, folks, people who've been on a boat having to, you know, have a perfect, perfect, perfect sheet, no wrinkles. We were pretty close, you know. Put a coin on it, it would bounce off. So this kind of started, the charters started, they were, you know, they were pleasant enough. Um, the daughter drank rum. Okay, like said the boy, he drank schnapps. And, and they both drank a lot. And they would, the wife was a bit spacey. Um, she was nice. She was like, okay, here's somebody that's actually normal. But she was normal in a deeply passive-aggressive way. And she was very well-practiced at hiding her feelings behind the facade of pleasantness. The kids took a liking to me and Laura, my chef at the time, and the week slowly passed. This was like the voyage that never ends. Each minute was like clouded by deep anger and negativity. And the husband... He was just rueful and mean and 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 arrogant and all this kind of I mean he was he was an unpleasant human being. They they didn't like swimming. They like they like going to the beaches, they like going to the bars. Um and and the husband would complain about everything. He would complain about, you know. Uh, why do we have to get in the dinghy? Why can't you take your boat up to this dock? And it was this was like he was like managing the boat kind of thing. And I would go, well, because the water at the dock is only about three feet deep. And, you know, I'm trying to stay cool and be nice and explain in a kind of nice way. I said, we can't get any closer than that. There's a reef we have to go over. It's only three feet deep. And my boat draws nine feet. Uh, doesn't work. And he would be like, <clears throat> so we had a whole week of this and it was just an endless, endless, uh, just, uh, it was so difficult. Um, you know, you just, I couldn't stand these people, but we kept their head up. We kept being nice and we did our job. We had complaints about everything. And it was him. The kids didn't complain. The kids could care less. The kids actually didn't want to be on the boat any longer than they had to be. The wife was trying to make things pleasant, but she knew she was in over her head. So at the end of the charter, thank God, um, I'm, I brought the boat into Charlotte Amali in the U.S. Virgin Islands, St. Thomas. And there was a squall. There was a driving downpour. I mean, it's like sideways rain kind of thing. And they were packed and ready to jump off the boat the instant we hit the dock. They had their little backpacks on. They had their back. They were all ready to go. 
but the rain and the wind, it was just, it was going to pass in a couple of minutes. It was, it was okay. But I just wanted to hang back before I put the boat on the dock. I couldn't even get on the fuel dock because other boats were on the fuel dock. It was loaded. There was, I just had to be patient. I didn't want to take it, you know, down the fairway and put it in with this kind of sideways wind and gusts. And it was just a squall. And in the Caribbean, you get these, they don't last very long, you know, half hour, 20 minutes, if that. And we had already been in it for a while, so I knew it was going to pass in, you know, five, ten minutes. So the wind is blowing, and the rain is sort of sideways, and it's beginning to abate a little bit, and I'm saturated, which is no problem in the Caribbean to be saturated. And I'm just, I'm up in the cockpit. I'm essentially by myself, and everybody's down below. He comes up with his backpack on, with his shoes on, his his clodhopper hiking boots on, um, complete disregard for the boat. And he says, why can't you take me, take us over to that boat and we'll just go across their boat? Well, he's pointing to this, you know, mega million dollar yacht. Um, and the captain, uh, who I don't know, um, would really, as anybody would appreciate uh, this little group scampering across his deck in in shoes um, in the rain. And I said, no, I can't do that. And he goes, just really lit, you know, just mean, like, well, you know all these people. You're the expert. You should be able to do that. I said, no, we'll put it in. We're going to put it in the dock in just a few minutes. And he was he was outraged. I mean, I could see... He wasn't getting his own way. He was so selfish. It was so amazing, and uh, I just, I, I just almost, almost knocked him out at that point. And so I took the boat, and and I put it in a slip. And I didn't even have. I had the f- one line in my hand. My mate Laura, she was there. She was, she was on with one line, and the whole family just jumped off the boat onto the dock and walked away. It was still raining. And it was still blowing. We hit, we didn't even have the boat tied up, and they were off the boat. They never said goodbye, never said anything, and we were like, okay, that's sort of interesting. Thank you. Well, they didn't say goodbye. They didn't tip us, even though we tactfully suggest about the tip thing and we this is a charter that we really worked hard this was a charter that was never ending you know laura went and she said hey you got to see this she was down in the cabins and she went the 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 boy he had he had a bottle of empty bottle of scotch and a empty bottle of schnapps in his bed 15 the girl also had two bottles of half drunk wine stuck in her bed they were drinking at night, these kids. And as we were cleaning up, Laura went to the table, the dining table, and we had a bowl on there, a bowl of fruit, and she happened to see in, inside, underneath the fruit, was a envelope. She pulled the envelope open, and it said, to the crew of Delphus. I don't know. We opened up the boat. And inside was a very, very large chip in cash and a note. They said, thank you. 
I know we're a trying family. And that was it. That was the end of the charter. And we were rewarded for our work. I think we did a good job. But it was very difficult with the people. So the point is, we, we cover a lot of stories. I've covered a couple of stories, some bad stories, and, you know, bad stories because of weather, bad stories because of circumstance, and, and this last one, it was really a bad, a bad charter because of the character and the character flaws and, and all the rest. But we, in all these charters, we always tried to, you know, have a fairly even experience. Um, we deal with people in a professional way, um, we try to be as, as friendly as possible. I mean, you know, anybody emotionally, you're with people for a week and, 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 you know, that can be difficult. Um, there's no place to hide, so to speak. So you, you're on service. Um, you're, you're, you're there, you're serving them, you're helping them, you're making sure they don't kill themselves or injure themselves in some way. And you're working to give them really high-quality food, high-quality experiences. And I would say that 99% of my charters were successful charters. I had a lot of repeat charters. Um, one year, I think I did 12 repeat charters, which is brilliant. And I, I forged a lot of friendships. Um, we got nice tips. We got, People were very kind to us. Um, we got, we worked hard and we got those successes and, and that's really what, what made the charter. But sometimes success isn't exactly what you think it is. So in this case, this story is about swingers. So we had two couples come to the boat and they seemed, you know, very normal, friendly. It was, you know, husband, wife, husband, wife. And when you see them, they're together, you think, oh, okay, that's who's married to whom. And, um, you know, one, one couple took the, the master suite, the other took the VIP, and um, they agreed to switch midweek, which we agreed with. That, that, that was a good thing because we always changed the linen midweek. So on that faithful day, my mate at the time, which, who was at Della, and I were in the galley prepping breakfast when one woman exited their cabin, her cabin, and then another woman exited her cabin, and they just changed rooms, and the men stayed in their rooms. And we were like, oh, wasn't she with, weren't, or did they already switch? We were very confused about who was where and who was, who was with whom. In the next few hours, though, hour, all we heard is them, both couples, screwing. You, I mean, like, I'm talking full-on screaming, all the rest of this kind of stuff. It was so crazy that we, I, I went up on the deck, and Adela came up on the deck, too, and we were up there sort of chuckling to ourselves, and I could, the noise you could hear because, you know, the portholes were open and the aft windows were open and you could hear all these and the, and the deck lights were open and you're looking out, I'm looking out at the anchorage and there's 
captains with binoculars looking at the boat. And these two couples are just going crazy. And we weren't quite sure what was going on. After all this sort of happened, and uh, we went back to sort of like normal, they all came up, and they sat in the cockpit having breakfast, and they they told me, and they said, look, um, we're swingers. And once a year, they meet up, and they swap wives and husbands, and that's what we do. And then we go back to our lives, because we don't know each other's lives. We live in two different parts of the world, in the United States, and that's just what we do. And this was of the, the, the pushing, not the guys, but it was the girls. They're the ones that swapped. They're the ones that pushed the whole swinger thing. So you never know. And then another story that I wanted to tell is about boobs and the Bobbit stories. Any of you uh, remember the... Uh, Lorraine Bobbitt story she castrated her husband because he was so mean and all the rest of this kind of stuff but I have to tell you people you know people people love to tell stories and in my job of course is telling stories and being entertaining um, I fill in some of the spaces where sailing and drinking and eating and and that's what I do is I tell these stories anyway this is a story, this is a sex story, and I had two couples from Montana. Um, they were very young, they, you know, they weren't very young, they were in their, you know, late 30s, early 40s, they were, you know, robust and athletic, um, very conservative by their own admission. Um, Mormon, I think they were. And then the one guy, he was a crop duster, which I found to be very, very fascinating, and the other guy was a drill driver. Um, these companies that drill in the um, Arctic Circle and all over the world, um, they have these drills. They, they have somebody that actually um, drives them as they're going underneath to find oil. And they just don't go straight down to look for oil. They go left, they go right. It's, I guess there's a whole thing about you know, finding oil in the right path. And the women, they couldn't have been more polar opposite. Uh, the driller's wife, uh, she was very frumpy and flowery um, and, and, and quite, you know, long dresses, uh, Birkenstock kind of gal. And, and the duster pilot's wife, she just had a boob job. Uh, she was a waitress at one time and, you know, platinum hair and 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 she married a crop duster and she was really quite a character to say the least and in fact we we're all sitting in the cockpit we we're sailing and i'm of course at the helm and and she says hey these are my new boobs do you want to feel them they feel like real boobs and and her husband says yeah go feel them they're like a thousand bucks a piece go ahead and feel them so i'm saying no that i think i think i'm good without feeling your boobs and, and of course, one of the things that, that I did have to mention is, is that I always, um, I advertised that I would do uh, new charters, I would do gay charters, and I used to do a lot of gay charters, and um, I, lots of stories there 
always always tremendous, always respectful, lots of fun, and um, not anything like you think for those people who have not been around a lot of gay people in their lives. But these two couples were very, very conservative, and they started out, um, the boob girl, she she was topless like right off the bat. The other girl, she wasn't too topless. She she sort of was very hesitant. She had on a, a bathing suit that probably could have come from Kmart. And, you know, then then they slowly started to undress. As I think it was like we picked them up on a Sunday. By Wednesday, um, they were all naked. And that was fine, you know, for us. Adele, she was French. She's it was everything I could do to keep clothes on her, um, you know, in that kind of circumstance. So she, she there was no problem. And, uh, you know, we just said, this is great. And then they started to screw on the foredeck. Literally, as I'm sailing, why, going forward, I can see plainly they're swapping wives and they're screwing each other's wives. And it's also the guys are on the guys and the girls are on the girls. It was like the charter porn movie, except there were no cameras. And the whole time I'm just trying to be cool and look, you know, just sail. It's like, okay, this is what we're doing. Here's how we go. So this all goes on during the day in the sun and the beautiful sailing and everybody's swimming. Everybody's happy. We're comfortable with them. They're comfortable with us. You know, everything is just totally copacetic and... And and then they start telling us these castration jokes. And we're like, this is getting too weird. Why what we've just seen <laughs> and what they've just been doing, which is fine. Why now castration jokes? Well, one of the things at this time was we didn't get a lot of news, especially during charter season. You know, there's no television um, maybe if you go to a hotel or a bar or something, they'll have a TV on. Um, and and we never really did that. There was no internet at the time. It was barely cell phone service. And excuse me. And so they're telling us all these Bobbit jokes. And I'm sure you've all heard Bobbit jokes, and I'm not going to tell one here. But finally. They all they looked at the guests look at uh, looked at us and said, like Adele wasn't getting it at all. That was beyond her English capacity to understand a joke like that. And and I, they looked at me and I was like, I can't understand what the hell you people are talking about. And then they said, You don't know about this? And I go, What? So then they tell me the whole story about the Lorraine Bobbin and her husband and da 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 and 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 that then it all made sense what was going on and they thought it was just hilarious now these people because they felt comfortable in doing what they wanted to do that they couldn't do anywhere else in the world this was termed as an extremely successful charter and in fact they actually came back and chartered some more But I got to tell you, the best charters that I ever had were my Chicago boys. No matter where I was in the world, the boys would come. 
Let me frame it like this. The boys, when I refer to the Chicago boys, are all traders on the Mercantile Exchange in Chicago. They all own their own seats, um, which at the time, I don't know, a quarter million to buy in to get a seat. They ran their own businesses. They made money. They traded in you know, pork bellies, gold, silver, grains, anything that could be traded in, they traded in. And the leader of the pack was a guy named Scott, same as my namesake. And he was a pretty cool guy. Um, he used to say that, um, you know, if he wasn't a trader, he would be a truck driver because before that he was a truck driver. And he hit upon trading by accident. He worked for a guy and this guy um, made some trades in one day, the market had a lot of swings and made some trades in one day and banked $17 million in one day. And he sold it, he walked away from trading. He never returned to the floor after that. And Scott had been doing this thing for like 15, 20 years, I suppose. And he was waiting for that one day when he was going to bank that $20, $30 million in one deal. And um, he would walk away from the show. But these guys were under a lot of stress. So Scott came down um, with a girlfriend. They had a charter. He loved the charter so much. He loved my mates so much. He used to just, he says, Scott, let me know when you have a new mate. I'll come back. This, that, another thing. Because he used to get some really dynamic uh, women on my boat. And they were just a lot of fun. And and you know it was just it's just a great life and everybody's having a lot of fun and and it was something that he never had the opportunity to get and on our very first charter scott was down with his his uh his girlfriend um we caught a great big mahi mahi off the back of the boat and he reeled it in i got it up on the deck and then we had fresh mahi mahi for dinner this sold him on the charter business he loved this he could sit in the cockpit in this certain spot. In fact, I had a plaque made up for him that I used to put right there. And he would sit there. He would drink beer all day. He'd go swimming. He, we loved going to the bars. Um, we had a lot of fun. And then the next time, you know, he would call up, Hey, Scott, how you doing? Uh, you got time? Can we come? And they go, yeah. Go, Where are you? Okay. And they would fly down or out of Chicago, and they, they flew on private plane. Lots of dough, all right? So they he would bring his other buddies down. So there would be like three, four guys. We actually did with these guys and their girlfriends and a couple of wives, etc. we did um, a tour of all the bars in the Virgin Islands. And that tour is based on a little book of pencil drawings of all the bars. So it took us, it took us like a year to do that, and they came back three four times they always paid full freight left mega tips were super fun didn't want to do anything love sailing the boat can't couldn't wait to get their hands on the helm couldn't wait to to go out on the foredeck and help with the sails and all the rest of the kind of stuff they just they had so much fun um they came to uh the virgin islands in the beginning they used to they, we did whole years i mean we're talking about these guys for close to 18 years were my charter guests, at least once a year. 
They were in the Grenadines with me. They were in the tr- they were in Trinidad and Tobago with me. Um, they were in Greece with me. They were in Turkey with me. Um, they were in France with me. Um, they were in the Bahamas with me. I'm trying to think of all the places. Every, every just name it. That they, they were they were there with me over the years, and they were really kind of the perfect charter guests because a they were so much fun. They were demanding, don't get me wrong. They treated people with respect. They treated the crew with respect. Um, They knew, you know, they had fun, but they knew where the limits of their fun. They didn't put themselves in danger. Um, They did consume an awful lot of um, uh, alcohol and smoke cigars. We used to have like a couple of the guys would come down, there'd be like four or five of them, and they would play cards on the back of the boat at night and and drink brandy and smoke cigars, and and this was their thing. And we, you know, we'd get them um, drinks and all the rest of this kind of stuff. And they would tell some of the funniest jokes, and, and they would, it was just, just so pleasant to have these guys. I really always look forward to having them and had... Actually, we became such good friends. I think there was, uh, I think I, I picked up their charter. Um, I think it was like a three, four day charter. I said, don't, yeah, don't, don't leave me any money. Don't, don't worry about it. I, I got you covered. I said, we were going to do this anyway. And, and we ended up, you know, I ended up um, taking care of them for three days, which they greatly appreciated. And in fact, they invited me up to Chicago, the whole group. There's about 12 of them and they were very very funny and we we're sitting in this very fancy french restaurant right on the right on the shore and in chicago and um they had rented a room and i was their celebrity guest and they were talking about all the charters that they had with me and they were telling all the stories and all the stuff that we had done and and just the fun that we had had and all the rest of this kind of stuff. We were having this great French meal. So the waiter comes in, and he's a Frenchman, and he, he, he asks one of the guys that uh, he's got that big cheese platter, right? And he says, uh, Monsieur, he says, uh, would you like me to cut the cheese? And one of the guys goes, it was Scott. Scott goes, no, please go. Go back in the kitchen and do that. What? And the, the, the poor waiter was sort of, what? And he says, but I want to cut the cheese here. And he goes, no, 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 don't cut the cheese here. Go back in the kitchen. And, of course, the guys are, everybody is rolling. Because to cut the cheese means to, to fart. And the poor waiter went back in the, in the, in the kitchen he must have said something to the people in the kitchen that they wouldn't let him cut the cheese at the table. And there was a roar in the kitchen. And the manager came over. He was in tears. He was laughing so hard. And and we, we got the cheese and all the rest of this kind of stuff. But it was just, this is what, these were great people. You know, this is the fun that they would have. Innocent, nice, just wonderful kind of thing. So that's, that's basically how a very simple group of people um, can make your charter business. And they were, 
absolutely the the best. There were plenty more. I could tell I could tell stories from here till eternity about some of the nicest people. Um, I had you know celebrities. I had hockey players. I had movie producers. I had um, actors. I had business people that were like you know the stairmaster guy was on my boat for a while. And, um, you know, Hollywood agents, um, all sorts of, uh, of, of different, different people, big time super star actors, um, and writers and some directors and lots of different types of people, um, dentists, um, you know, just normal people that, um, you know, people who work for the government, um, you know, people that, that, that were investment hedge fund guys. I mean, just the whole gamut. And what's different in the charter business and all these people is, is that once people get to the boat and they begin to relax, all of the pretense that's around them generally disappears. I don't care if you're a hedge fund guy. I don't care if you're a famous actor. I don't care about that stuff. We're just dealing with humanity, with people for who they really are. We're dealing with all their little foibles. We're dealing with all their little desires, okay? The secrets that they have. The secrets that they can't do when they're home or in, in some other sort of public place. You know, it's like having a nude charter or a gay charter or swapping wives. And in terms of this whole sex thing, there's like 50 other things I could do. I, I did a solo charter once with with eight lesbian girls and it was a bet which one was going 